Hello, it's Jeff. Just before we get to the show, just a friendly reminder to hit follow or subscribe on your podcast app so it's downloaded and ready to go. Come on, let's go to the Blue Hotel. Welcome to the Blue Hotel Podcast. I'm Jeff Woods with episode 15, which is further proof of something that has become a bit of a mantra around here, the concept that the universe provides. I'll explain in a moment upon the introduction of our special guest this time. We were talking in advance about what we might focus on in our conversation, and it became abundantly clear that the options were many, but we narrowed it down to something on many people's minds, and that is desire in long-term relationships. Sometimes the stars align such that it just is. Some would contend, however, that sustainable long-term desire is a bit of a unicorn, at least in the absence of some effort. Successful relationships don't just happen, do they? They come with effort and thought and work and consideration and care. Plus, after the in-depth yet casually flowing investigation with our esteemed guest, stay close for a new adult bedtime story, short erotic story, fiction mostly, steamy always. This time it's co-written actually with a past guest at the Blue Hotel, author Karen Zeifman from episode four. She wrote the nonfiction book Let's Talk About X Baby, And she's the co-author of the story with which this episode will climax. It's called Take Me Back. Now let's get to our expert guest. Our guest this time is a registered marital and family therapist and a certified sex therapist who works with individuals and with couples. Her specialties also include separation and divorce and grief and life transitions. She's worked in the field for over 25 years and is familiar with all aspects of sexuality, including trauma, education, relationships, dysfunctions, medical issues, And something that's talked about a lot these days, because none of us are getting any younger, concerns with respect to aging. She is sex positive, adept at dealing with alternative lifestyles, too, including kink and open relationships. Welcome to the Blue Hotel Podcast, Lisa Peltier. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad you're here. I've maintained that the universe provides in ways we couldn't have imagined quite often. And sometimes things don't happen that you wanted to have happen, and you are disappointed. And then later, you're like, oh, that's why that didn't happen. Mm -hmm. I called you and wanted to come see you because you're a therapist, and you had a really busy schedule. Actually, a good thing, because I think that had I been doing therapy with you, I couldn't have then said, hey, why don't you come do my podcast? It would have been a conflict, or you tell me? It would have been certainly a different kind of thing even when we met in person again because you would have known and I would have known that you were my client or had been my client. That's an interesting thing. Would we have talked then? Yes, I probably would say hi, but classically when I see clients, I live in a small town, I see clients all the time, all over the place. Just by chance on the street? Just by chance on the street, Uh at my gym, in the grocery store, when I go swimming, when I'm running around, whatever I'm doing. 
And I um, often say, you know, I smile and, well, I always smile because I'm that kind of person, but I say to clients, I'm not going to acknowledge you unless you acknowledge me. And so would we have even chatted? I don't know if I would have found out that you would have even had a podcast if we hadn't talked that day. Yeah, that's what I mean. There would have been Mm -hmm. some separation outside of the office. Yes. And so for that reason alone, I'm glad that (laughs) at that time it didn't (laughs) work out. And then December 2022, I'm at a holiday party on my own street in the town of the Blue Mountains. And uh, and I meet you, and I and I just meet a to your point, someone who's smiling and kind and nice, and we get talking about what we do, and one of the things I do is the Blue Hotel podcast, obviously, and and your eyes lit up a bit because it kind of uh, merged with some of the things you were thinking about for your whole career, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> relationships, sexuality, and uh, and one thing led to another, and here you are, so thank you, Lisa. Well, thank you, Jeff, for inviting me. When I read about your 25 years of experience in therapy and sex therapy, it reminded me of that old uh, expression, do your 10,000 hours. Reference people talk about the idea that to become an expert or a master performer in any given field, it takes 10,000 hours of practice, which was a concept popularized by a guy named Malcolm Gladwell. And it's easy to remember, but it's... uh, almost completely false. (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk about you and how you got into the practice of what you do um, over 25 years ago. I grew up in Quebec and I went to uh, CEGEP after high school and um, I took my very first course in human sexuality at the CEGEP in Lenoxville and it was the psychology of human sexuality. At the time I remember that most of the other students there took it as, would have seen it as what it would call maybe a bird course or something, a big joke. They all sat at the back. I sat right at the front. I remember that course so well. I'm still in touch with the prof. And I knew right then and there, I was 17 years old, that uh, this field uh, met my curiosity, my love of science, my sort of wild side, my uh, silliness even. And so I basically pretty well promptly said to my parents who were mortified, you know, I know what I want to be. I want to be a sex therapist. And then um, I did various things, but including a psychology degree. And um, while I was at Queens doing psychology, I saw um, a flyer. Back then there were bullet cork bulletin boards with pieces of paper on them that had flyers. And there was a, a flyer saying, do you want to go to grad school, do you want a master's degree in human sexuality? I was actually volunteering at the um, birth control and abortion referral room. Well, it was in a room in a small building at Queens, and I'd read all the material in the room. I'd, unfortunately, well, fortunately, actually, not very many people called during my time there, so I just basically read everything in the room. And then when I saw that flyer, I immediately contacted the University of Guelph, was able to actually at that time. The dean invited me to the university, showed me around for the day, and then by the next year I was enrolled in the human sexuality and couple and family therapy program. Well, actually I did one year before, and then and then the rest is kind of history in terms of being an, a frontline clinician. I also um, was had the privilege of presenting uh, my master's thesis at the World Congress of sexology in Washington when I was young. But what I like about it is that it's impossible to be an expert 
I mean, in a sense, I know a lot, but it's a field where there's so much to learn and grow and it's changing and people changing and we aren't the same. So there's just so much is exponentially blasting off, particularly in the last number of years in terms of research and conversations and things online that I love that part. Mo many clinicians, I think, would run run the other way because it's too much. <laughs> <laughs> you still have a great passion for it at 25 years in, and, and that's the sign of having chosen wisely at 17, I think. Um, not that we have to choose something and stick with it, and if we don't, we're a failure, but it's a pretty wonderful thing. This many years later, you're still motivated to yeah. learn more. And let's go back, though, to when you were a teenager, what were some of the things that led you down that path? If you think back to the way you were thinking as you came of age, and sometimes girls are a bit quicker than boys. So, so take me back to earliest memories of thinking that this might be where you want to go. There was no actual clear path about how to be a sex therapist. And even now there's lots of different ways to get there. So it wasn't as if like go to sex therapy school or whatever. I just knew that, that this was a field I wanted to do. Were those words even uh, strung together, um, sex therapist, or how was it? Well, kind of, or at least I was aware that I wanted to work in the field of human sexuality. I wasn't sure I wanted to be a professor, even though I had great admiration for the prof that I had. I more was interested in why people do what they do, how they think, how change happens. I did also some work in sex education as well and a good part of being a sex therapist is providing sex education that's a part of the work that we do it's not the only thing but certainly uh, educating people clarifying things finding out information for them super important yeah, right yeah, because yeah. because how can you how can you get to the, the the depth of the feeling of a thing if you haven't got a common understanding of what the thing is and what it entails, particularly if it's a mm -hmm. couple, mm -hmm. if they're on different pages, which happens all the time. No, but go back to the thinking oh. you had it, because you said you're 17 when you decided this is the road I'm going to go down. <laughs> so when you're 13 or 14 or 15, what are, were there these inclinations that you had or these um, thoughts that you had that kind of pushed you there? Well, actually, at 13, 14, 15, I was very shy, and <laughs> I um, was in a Catholic school and we didn't have much in the way of sex education but also I wasn't paying any attention to the Catholic business either so um, religion yeah to religion so um, I didn't buy into or pay any attention to um, what you're allowed to do and what you're not allowed to do which was fine so um, <laughs> did that get you in trouble it did well it got me a little bit in trouble with my um, father who was uh, a strict more strict Catholic so when I actually when he found out that I was volunteering at the birth control and abortion referral center at Queens he threatened to um, stop paying for my university so how did that go? so I did the right thing I lied and said that I uh, <laughs> was no longer volunteering there by and any means necessary yes, I'm going to prove you know. and then um, and then the very next year I plopped into the master's degree in, uh, you know, the human sexuality program at the <laughs> University of Guelph, which they were always a little bit perplexed, but at the same time, I was doing something. And um, But I think that part of it is I was really, I guess at the time too, 16, 17, I was exploring um, what sex meant for me and having some relationships and found it kind of super fun and interesting and 
And I also, I think there's a part of me that's always been a little bit unconventional uh, and that met that as well in terms of like, I'll maybe do the opposite of what other people think I should do. So. Rebel, rebel. Yeah. But that's your personality, evidently. Mm, the yeah. brain that you had uh, was decidedly not going to buy into things just because they were indoctrinated or whatever. Yeah. Uh, the Catholicism. And, 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 and yeah. in the school system, because mm-hmm. it, it wasn't public school, as it were. It was the, uh, the separate school board. Yes. And also so much education at that time. And it, there have been changes made. But it was all about fear and don't do this or you'll get pregnant or you'll get a disease or it's all about don't 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 and all about function but nothing about any of the all the other things in between so function over feeling and and to our point earlier at the start of this uh sex positive Mm -hmm. isn't about fear it's about education what else is sex positive what what, when you have to define sex positive what are you saying i would say about curiosity and um uh openness and play and uh, watching and removing judgment, moving away from binary thinking, I'd say. Moving away from binary thinking, that's intriguing. And that's a subject of much um, conversation lately. Um, And pushback, and pushback often comes from people who don't understand. So help those people, and me, and all of us, better understand what you mean when you say moving away from binary thinking. Well, um, I guess one major binary is good and bad, right? You know, um, or uh, sin and non, not sin, or um, right and wrong, or normal and abnormal. I mean, you know, looking at kind of rejecting the views that everything has to belong in one particular category. I mean, certainly around sexuality, you can, you can see male and female, heterosexual, homosexual, let's say, or gender, or um, the all or nothing problem, even in relation to people that say in with respect to their interest in sex, whatever sex means, um, I don't care if I ever have it again. And that is a binary thinking thing. It's like an all or nothing. Like I, and then, so I guess um, looking at positive to say, is it possible or would you give yourself permission to make your life how you would like it to be? Understanding that we have laws and which are important and and uh, how do we want to treat people and and uh, treat people well and kindly and respectfully but within those uh, parameters um, why shouldn't you be able to do what you want yeah the sky's the limit yeah. it's a great point too you know with respect to laws that seems to be a given but it has to be said yeah. and with respect to uh, human decency which yeah. is treating people with respect and honesty, honest with yourself and honest with the people you're dealing with. Those things intact, or those things are the givens, let's say. Then, yeah, it's wide open. Frank Zappa said it, and I've quoted him often here, um, the mind is like a parachute. It best works when it's open. Yes. <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, when you have a discussion yeah. with someone that you don't know that well, and, and, and they I- interact in a way that, interjects things like it was just the way I was raised I think that at any age hopefully we have that word you used earlier the c word curiosity and we have this consciousness that we are incompetent meaning we don't know a lot of things that are still to be learned (laughs) once you stop learning it's kind of over 
And also, is, is it okay to change our minds? I say, yes, you can change your mind. Well, well put. So important, right? And we also change throughout our lives. And that, you know, ideally, in terms of openness, open to change, open to growth, open to even loss, and to understand that the only thing we can really be sure of is that change is going to happen in our lives. Something that caught my ear that you said and that I read about you in your bio, Lisa, particularly because there was a TV show produced a couple of years ago on a cable network about the lives of Masters and Johnson. Something you know, but for anyone who's not aware of those names, William Masters and Virginia Johnson pioneered research into the nature of human sexual response and the diagnosis and treatment of sexual, in quotes, disorders and dysfunctions from the late 50s until the 1990s. These two names, Masters and Johnson, are linked more than anyone, maybe Freud notwithstanding, <laughs> uh, to sexuality. And, um, and you got to meet these people. It was a cocktail party um, uh, around presenters. And uh, my, my supervisor, I guess, Lisa, come on, let's go over and we, I'll introduce you here. There's, here's your chance to meet Masters and Johnson. And uh, <laughs> I was at all of 21, 22. At any rate, I went You would over. be nervous. Well, I, I was, would be nervous. I was nervous, but as I wasn't, they weren't interested in talking to me. I forget, we introduced or said hello and shook hands. What I mostly remember is that uh, William Masters had the most piercing eyes that you he had he was bald and he didn't smile but he had the most piercing eyes i felt like he'd bored right through my head you know right to the other side and it was very very brief but it, you know i kind of being actually being at that whole conference was a big deal and seeing and hearing from other people as well i forget now i mean that was a long time ago but just being in the room or being around those kinds of people and and with their experience was great i mean the sex therapy has evolved a lot beyond Masters and Johnson. What do you remember of, of her? If you uh, she, well, she was just standing there, and I don't really recall. I really mostly recall his scary bowling ball head case. <laughs> 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 and then there wasn't really a lot to say. I, I forget now, you know, whether basically niceties. And, you know, and a lot of other people would have wanted to talk to them. It wasn't like they were like, no, we have to talk to Lisa Pelche now, you know. But I think it's lovely that you have that in yeah. your memory, in your yeah. history. Yeah. Did you see the series? No, I didn't. It's worthy, I think. I, th I think you'll like I it. I probably will, yes. I'm a big fan of sex education and other series. I want to dig into a theme because we batted around a few things we could talk about. We could talk for hours. So usually what I say is, you'll have to come back and talk about some of the things we didn't get to. But for now, Lisa, why don't we dig into the challenge that faces countless couples. The challenge of desire in long-term relationships is what I'm talking about. Um, Esther Perel put it this way, we want it all and uh, we want it now and with all of it comes a whole lot of contradictions because we want safety on one side but we want undying excitement on the other. We want to be grounded yet we want these transcendent moments. We want a lot of stuff, don't we, as people that are entering relationships and hoping to have success Talk a bit about the contradictions that, that I've noted. Well, I think certainly um, many, many people come in and speak to me, particularly heterosexual couples, that they really miss, of course, the early months or years of, of their relationship where they had 
what I would call maybe new relationship energy or energy that is exciting. There is some space between them. And that I think that for a lot of um, couples through middle or longer term years, they get caught up in work, perhaps children, um, life, um, busyness, and that what they end up, women and men's desire are different in a sense that men likely more interested in sex. It's likely because it's available and they have more testosterone and we're raised in a society where it's more acceptable for men to um, be interested in sex than women. And women, I think, struggle with, are you allowed to want the want? Are you allowed to desire and still be a good person? What does that mean? I think that people struggle a lot with the routine. They put sex right at the end of the day where they're the most tired and least available to each other. Yeah, the old joke was right after Johnny Carson on Friday only. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know if you, I really like and follow Dan Savage, and he says, uh, he has a coffee mug that I actually want to buy, and it, it says fuck first, because I really think that people, let's say, for instance, Valentine's Day is coming up, and people like get all dressed up, and they get ready or whatever, and then they go out for dinner and then they eat too much and then they have that dessert that they probably shouldn't have had and then they come home and they, they're like, I'm popping out of my clothes and they pull their belt off or whatever and they lie down and they fall asleep. And they, <laughs> and that I think is reasonably common or, you know, things happen. So I think that that's, that's also a struggle in terms of, are you willing and able to prioritize uh, eroticism, sexuality, sensuality in your life uh, long term? It isn't something that you just happen, because people think it's something we have and we don't really have to work on. It's supposed to just be sitting there, it's supposed to be there. And if we don't have it, it means it's gone or that there's something wrong with a relationship. And it is really, I think you. it's important to cultivate desire, cultivate fantasy, cultivate, make time and to actually um, anticipate. That's the other thing in new relationships. If you don't see a person like maybe as much or they visit or they you don't live with them. And Esther Perel talks about this um, domesticity crowds out eroticism. In there, I, and, and, I've, and I've quoted that probably once a day in a conversation with someone, uh, many someones, that, uh, yeah, the antithesis, the opposite yeah. of eroticism or the erotic life is familiarity. So it's, yeah. it's, it's interesting to, to imagine Spending so much time in the same house, in the same bedroom, in the same rooms, uh, in the same car sometimes, um, with the same habits, and expecting somehow there to be um, room left for excitement and spontaneity and discovery. Once you know absolutely everything there is to know, how can that be? Yeah, and then you have COVID where you were stuck with each other for... A few years. Yeah, what did COVID do? It probably <laughs> it probably made a lot of ch- it, uh, a lot yeah. of changes happen yeah. in people's lives. Yeah. Some people were put in um, in harm's way because of yeah. it because they couldn't escape. Yeah. Abuse. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And also, then in terms of familiarity and so much time together, I think that people are now, of course, trying to do things and get out a little bit because they were really, you know, then there was because even sometimes going to work is a way of having a break, right? If you 
go out or you have a hobby or a sport or something like just that. Just that, yeah, exactly, Lisa. The whole idea that uh, is cliche, but cliches are usually true. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. Give me time to miss you. Yeah. Um, and it takes what? It takes two people who have some security or have some understanding that loyalty doesn't mean being attached at the hip. And again, understanding, I guess, trust as well. Yeah, having that trust that yeah. while we're apart, that does not mean we're off doing things that uh, we wouldn't want to admit to having done. Yeah, certainly um, if it's an agreed upon thing, that's one thing, but not being sneaky. Yeah, we're going to get to that too <laughs> because, you know, we have agreed to what we have agreed. You know, we've talked many times in this podcast about loyalty isn't about anything but uh, honoring the agreement you've made. And there's many ways to do things, and agreements can look... Agreements are based on what two people decide. They're not based on what the Bible said, unless that's what you subscribe to as a couple. They're not based on anything but what you've come up with together. And then the other thing, and I wanted you to talk to this, because we're already getting into it, alternative lifestyles, alternative to the one that a lot of us grew up with, thinking that Mommy and Daddy have kids, and Mommy and Daddy are together until their 68th wedding anniversary, and then one of them dies, and then and then repeat generationally. Mm-hmm. But we've come to know that it doesn't always work, and this greatest uh, you know indication of insanity is doing things the same way and expecting different results. So let's talk about that in a second, that idea of opening up relationships, which is something you have experience in and can talk to as a therapist. But let's go back to the things that encourage uh, long-term relationships, successful long-term relationships, as it relates to desire. Why do people lose desire? So we talked about them being too familiar, too close, not having time apart. What else? Or what are some of the ways to combat that? Okay, well, some of the else's could be boredom, you know, in terms of same old, same old. Sometimes uh, medication can impact desire. Oh, I hadn't thought of that. Let's do boredom. Boredom okay. comes from doing the same things all the time and not stepping out of that? Is that what boredom Yeah, in terms of, well, I think that sometimes for couples, a pattern is set somewhere along the relationship and around who does what and what happens, and even around what is sex and what isn't sex, let's say, or what what is expected to happen, what is considered a successful sexual event. You know, there's an old sex therapy joke. Again, it's similar to the de- definition of insanity, you know. Uh, find out what works and do the same damn thing over and over again, you know. <laughs> and um, I think that, you know, our, people's bodies change, their interests change. And also, it's an interesting thing because, at least classically, the definition of a successful sexual event has been that the man comes or has an orgasm and that whether the woman or does or not, the focus isn't really on that. That the so there's so much focus on in heterosexual relationships on the penetration, let's say, and then that does leave in many situations women wanting in relation to what's in this for them. Well, sometimes when I talk to people and I ask them uh, what they do and what happens, even things that would have been fun and exciting earlier on when they were dating or when they were younger. Things like kissing, you know, when I ask them about like, and they they either don't really kiss or they kiss a little bit and then rush to the next thing, like they're on some sort of race. And I and sometimes I say to couples, 
what about if you have National Kissing Day? Like, just don't do anything. Just have a special day. You know, it's like kiss with your eyes open, kiss with your eyes closed, kiss all over. Do you remember what it was like and how exciting that was? Because as a younger person, often what the first kiss is and also the very first kiss you give anybody is, is like the very first kiss ever. It's you, such an event. Yeah, yeah. And And for some of us, it really still is. Yeah. Over time. I think if that goes away. Yeah. And uh, wow. exactly. So when I, people say to me, well, we don't really kiss anymore. There's a part of my heart that feels sad, you know, and then and then also there are so many nerve endings in our lips and our mouth and our tongue. I'm like, it's that's getting wasted in a way, like in a sense that they're just so part of it is, is if you say, let's slow it down. Even earlier today, I had uh, clients before I came here and just various discussion on something. And I, I know this doesn't sound very professional, but I said to the fellow, you know what you need to do? And I paused and I said, I am going to swear in a minute. And I, and I said, slow the fuck down. I mean, so I think essentially part of it, if we slow this process down and let the body know about what it likes and what feels good and to think about things like if we looked at and not, I don't want to use the word, not just kissing. We're not going to put the word just in front of it. That somehow kissing is that anything but the PIV is lesser than. I'm really looking at helping people move away from those ideas around that what counts is this and everything else is just getting to that. I don't know what PIV is. What's that? Penis and vagina. Oh, right. That's, that's how you the say The good old that. PIV, the short form. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. Well, why do people lose that desire do they forget? Do they? They're in a hurry. They're, well, I think let's just fuck. Yeah, sometimes I think they're in a hurry. Uh, okay, so in some instances, mm-hmm. if men have worries about whether they have can get an erection or not, or maintain an erection, then they go on like super fast rush mode. They have an erection, and God forbid anything should get in the way of that. They have to use it quickly because they're worried internally. This is an internal process that they're worried. Ah. Oh, in, you know, like, I, I I have it now. Use it or I, lose I, I it. Use it or lose <laughs> it. And then what, this is a classic situation that sets up uh, problems with desire in a heterosexual relationship. A man gets an erection. He's He doesn't really share about his worries or whatever. He's worried. He's like, oh my God, I have to use it or lose it. He proceeds in a sense, or he pushes or moves to intercourse way too quickly, too quickly in that the woman if that is a woman partner in a heterosexual relationship, that she's not aroused enough. She's not ready. But he's not really waiting. He's more worried about whether his erection's going to last. He's afraid to slow it down because if he slows it down, he might lose his erection and then they have to start all over. And and so that what happens then, that leads to dissatisfying sex for the woman partner because they end up having, maybe they aren't ready. Their body isn't ready. They are mentally not ready. But there isn't really much of a discussion about what happens. We have to have this because God, you know, God forbid he loses it. And then and then because also female women partners feel badly when men lose erections too. And they don't really want to get in that situation because then they have to deal with, you know, it, sometimes the, it's game over then. Not, everything stops. So then what happens and it becomes this rushed situation where the, the experience for the woman isn't really that fun it's rushed it's not really focused on her necessarily and then um and then that sets up in anticipation as humans as people uh, what drives desire is 
often our last or, or most recent experiences. Good point. So then if you're like, oh, last time, you know, it hurt, or last time it was too fast, or last time it wasn't much fun for me, that's not really a driver forward in terms of moving it. And then that you be, you get into what we would consider the sex uh, death spiral. That's the thing about momentum, isn't it? Yeah. When it's going the right way, it's wonderful. Yeah. But if it's going the other way, <laughs> it can just get worse and worse. Yeah. I, I have to think that um, your point about slowing things down, some people would maintain, and I'd be one of them, that if you do slow it down and give yourself permission to take your time and set it, earlier we talked about habits. Habits define how things go. If, if you're always doing it at Friday night after the TV goes off or if you're going out Valentine's Day and after you've had this huge meal, what do you expect? If your habit is that, it may not be successful. My point is this, kissing for many people encourages an erection. When you mm -hmm. slow it down and start making out like you did when you were first together, this spark can just ignite a fire that doesn't race to penetration. But once you get to it, you're, you're, you're completely on fire, so I hear, um, because you have taken your time touching, feeling, looking, kissing, the things that are pretty goddamn wonderful in and of themselves. Part of the journey to to orgasm. What happened to ladies first? I, I, I've known this for so long, and most of the I, people I speak to that are male yeah. understand well, they, that. Well, maybe the ones you speak to do. But there's lots that don't think no. that way. No, the other dilemma is it's an interesting thing, and that you know people that are having kick-ass sex lives aren't coming in to see me. That's a good point. There's often other reasons they're coming to see you, yeah. and, and the other reasons are what affects the sex, perhaps negatively. Secrets, yeah. Yeah. Uh, disloyalty, all the other things. They had great sex, yeah. but then there were other problems. So Yeah, then most people, I would say, in the, within their lifespan, will run into some problems related to, or some concerns related to sexuality, whether they're problems or not. I think it's a universal issue that speaks about us being human and how we are and I think that the other thing I'd say going back to the senses and kissing I encourage people to use their all of their senses to slow things down and to uh, enjoy the experience for what it you know for what it is and I think that um, also in some ways kissing also is so intimate that I think that that can become hard for people if they're struggling with that if they don't feel that connected it then can unfortunately become scary that it that can be it may be easier to have sex than kiss yeah the most intimate thing on earth lisa has to be kissing kissing in the presence of intercourse i mean the, the stimulus in and of itself the stimulus can be massive and 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 all engines firing as it were but just intercourse without kissing has its place too sometimes yeah. for couples there's yeah. something to be said for a quickie i'm not saying hey like it all everything has to be so slow that you know we're always on reverse but i think that being again it's an interesting thing being flexible flexible and and variety to yeah. your point earlier doing the same thing all the time isn't yeah. going to be sustainable in long term so yeah variety is huge where are we going to do it how are we going to do it 
When are we going to do it? What else? What is a little bit surprising? What is a little bit naughty? What might be a little bit um, unexpected? What? Um, and also, what does the invitation look like? And I guess that's also people get into their habits around how they then let the other person know they're interested or what how they invite. And I think most people really who come in to see me, we want to feel desired in our relationships with the other person. And and sometimes just like, do you want to go upstairs or this and that is just sometimes not enough. It feels like, do you want to have, do you want to have sex or do you want to have sex with me? Like the question is, 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 it, is it me you want or is it just something that you want to do? And most people want to feel with their partner or partners that there's something innate about them that draws them to them, not just that they want to stick this and that and do this and that. You know, That's that, a great point. Yeah. We've talked about it here before, how uh, foreplay isn't something you do in the five minutes before you actually have intercourse. Foreplay is something you do in all waking hours, potentially. Texting can be an opportunity for foreplay. A phone call in the middle of the day when you didn't expect it perhaps can be an opportunity for foreplay. Mm-hmm. What are some of the other things, what are some of the other ways that people can encourage um, uh, excitement around um, Yeah, I mean, any kind of a note, a whisper, a certain touch, um, a reference to an, another fun time, um, a drawing. You know, I guess it's an interesting thing because foreplay also in and of itself is wonderful and exciting and fun. And foreplay doesn't have to be just the thing you do before you have PIV. Because again, people rush through what we would have classically called foreplay before touching and feeling and whatever a bit five minutes I mean it sounds I sound so jaded but just by what I hear people say you know a little bit and this that really sometimes to determine whether a person is ready for PIV am I rolling my eyes and I don't mind (laughs) PIV it's just that it's a little bit like if we slow it down to say foreplay as Esther Perel says really needs to start uh, um, at the end of the last fun you had as part of it is being how can you be a little bit um well, here's an important thing. What does playful mean for uh, in within a couple system? You know, when I ask people about what do they do for fun, or do they have play in their lives? Certainly, I consider all or many forms of eroticism and sexuality a form of play for consenting uh, people. And that, but when I ask also in terms of playful, can be playing hide and seek at home or um, or tag, or making funny voices, or, you know, doing all sorts of things that invoke a part of our brain that says this is fun and playful, maybe even a little bit mysterious, if you don't know what the other person, what's going to come out of their mouth, or what they're going to say. Or where you're going, because yeah. one of the things that, you know, the the climax, as it were, of episode 14, the one before this one, um, was another adult bedtime story that I wrote and, and narrated and uh, and and while there wasn't complete surprise in this because she knew the character in the story knew that he was coming to pick her up on a Sunday morning at whatever time after breakfast and they were going for a drive where they were going she didn't know what they were going to do 
on the way and when they got there. She didn't fully know. She had an idea. But there was foreplay all along, uh, leading up to the pickup, as it were, doing things differently. Here's one um, that I have maintained as being important to me in a relationship, and, and I've heard other people feel the same way. When you go out to dinner as a couple, where do you sit? Do you sit across from one another? Or do you sit beside one another? Sitting beside someone at a table for four, which often if their place isn't packed, you can get a table for four and sit beside each other um, on the bench, in the booth, or in two chairs. Or if that's not available, it can be a lot of fun to sit side by side at the bar. That's where you get the best service typically. And you can have a drink to start, so you're at a bar. And it might feel like old times when you first dated, if that's what you did. It's just that intimacy. You can hold each other's hands. You can put your hand on her leg. She can put your ha- her hand on yours. There's ways of doing things differently. Whatever it takes. And you see people at these big tables at steakhouses, and they're like these giant tables, and they're so far from each other. And you often look over, or I do anyway, because I'm such a voyeur about human interactions and they're just eating and they cannot say two words to each other or even barely look at each other for 10 minutes and I'm always like that doesn't look fun (laughs) that's such a good point and it's funny I'm smiling because that's almost what I always do almost always see if I can sit beside or in a corner like well for lots and lots of reasons tell me well, partly because my hearing isn't great. But the other thing is it's more intimate. And also I, it's easier to touch the person. Um, and it's a little bit also, you know, you just never know what might happen uh, under the table. Oh, my gosh. Um, yes. The other the other thing, too, is I think if you sit side by side, you know, oh God, I'm, I'm saying what kind of a sex therapist who encourages people to do those kinds of things in public? Oh, well, um, if you sit side by side from each other, you could also play a little game or you could pretend that you don't know each other and that you're just walking up to a bar or you're coming to a bar and uh, you don't know each other and you can play that game. So That's a great game. That's yeah. a wonderful thing for couples to try. Yeah. There was a Vince Vaughn movie I stumbled upon last weekend where he did that actor's name escapes me but you'd know her. She's famous. And they do that and, 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 and I don't know that they're a married couple until yeah. 10 minutes into it and it, it's quite entertaining. Uh, but it happens all the time for people who are willing to play and have a little fun with it. Yeah, a little bit of mystery or a little bit of playful, and it, you know, you know the rules or whatever. Or you're, why not? You know, and I think that actually sometimes when I ask people about that, they're, I think that sometimes adults um, have an idea. Well, partly because the domestic duties, the financial responsibilities, all the other stresses that they feel a little bit sad about what they might have let go of when they were younger, around their younger self or around their child self, that um, I'd welcome them to bring back into their lives. It's kind of a restart, isn't it? Yeah. It's. It, I think it's giving yourself permission to say, the way it's going right now maybe isn't as great as I would like. And that's that's probably an understatement, right? The way it's going right now ain't good. And I don't know if this is going to last because it doesn't feel right anymore. And it's not exciting. And I'm not turned on. And you don't seem to be either. And we're not doing it very often. Frequency is down. Enjoyment is down. I'm not that turned on. You don't seem to be that turned on. So giving yourself permission, identifying that, saying that's true, communicating that with your partner. But then the next breath is, 
I'd really like to get back to us. What are we going to do differently to do that? Sometimes it's going to see you, Lisa. It's going to a therapist, a couples therapist. But that's not all. You have to have the desire to change your habits so that you can change the outcome. Yes, and I think um, what might have worked before doesn't work now. Things have changed. The other thing is I really wish more people would even talk, acknowledge at the beginning of relationships that realistically speaking that we're you know there there there's likely going to be a decline in sexual interest and not to say that first date or right away you're talking but to address things like what are we going to do if it fades can we bring up um what we want because often i see couples and i guess they haven't it's just assumed that um either love will conquer all that we're in love or it will last or that it doesn't really matter and or even that mismatched desire um, isn't that important. And I would say that it is very important. And I'm not saying you have to get, you have to meet people that have the same match as you, but far too often people, when I talk to them now, they say that back in the day, even when they first met, they knew there were issues there in relation to the interest or the desire or the freak, whatever, that, that there there was a mismatch there. And they just said, well, we all the other things are important. This doesn't matter. But down the road, it matters. People imagine that it's not going to matter. And I think that in our society, too, you know, maybe back in the day, we imagined that people beyond a certain age weren't interested in sex or they stopped having sex. Or they had things like companionate marriages, which are fine. If both people are fine with having a companionate marriage without a sexual relationship, Bob's your uncle. That's a... like." That's great. We're not saying people have to, but if one person's interested and the other isn't, or one person's more interested in the other, then there's a problem. And I think that also, particularly in monogamous relationships, because if you're saying my only option is this relationship and the tap is now turned off, what are we going to do? And I think what happens is people are afraid to bring that up because they're afraid to, that it will crack or or end the relationship, so silence happens. And then I see people months and years in where there's been really not any conversation, but they've been afraid to sort of, what do you, you know, the elephant's pretty big. Finally, something happens and they come in to say, I wish we could find ways to help people talk about that um, earlier and to talk about what does it mean that, what are our options? Let's talk about it. And also, is the sex you're having Sometimes I'll ask people, what do you want? Now, some people will say, I don't know. If you know what you don't want, but you don't know what you want, that's another whole thing. <laughs> like, what do you want or what would you like? Or And then they make them go off and have a think on that or, you know, whatever. Um, but I think, too, if you're having if you're having something that you're not enjoying, then you're not really going to want it. And to say, let's have a conversation. Now, people are afraid to hurt their partner's feelings, like, you know, you know, they've always done that. You know, if I say I don't like it, you know, they're going to think that the whole relationship was a farce. They go, will they? Is that how, you know, is that how it goes? You know, like, can you not change your mind or what you might have liked or whatever? Or are you speaking up now because you didn't have the guts to do it earlier? The funny you know? thing about communication, Lisa, is that there are couples that can talk about the kids effectively. They can talk about finances effectively. They can talk about family. They can talk about all kinds of things very effectively um, and, and get that done. 
but but sex is one of those areas that some people somehow fell short on communication around. Why do you think that is? I think that often for people in within their family of origin, it might have been hard. Growing up, they um, didn't see it modeled very easily. I think that some uh, religious influences around what is acceptable and what isn't and around what men should do and what women should do or what you're allowed to do before you're married and what you're allowed to do after you're married. The other thing is as if you're also um, um, what is polite and what is impolite. What I also realize is because I've spent my whole career thinking and talking about this, I also sometimes have to remind myself that just because it's so easy for me that I kind of befuddled sometimes of why it's hard for other people, but I think that I'm sort of a bit of a strange outlier in that way, so I have to somehow sometimes remember that. And I think that um, people also, I think they're afraid to admit what they don't know and who can know everything and to talk. And also it's often tied to people's feelings of their own desirability and their own um, agency, let's say, as a man or as a woman in terms of like, if I call upon or question your ability, then sometimes people then are they're tied up with men should automatically know how to do this and that or women. And then that is hopefully changing. And we're learning that there's way more to women and men than in terms of, and it's a learned behavior, sexuality and sex and our bodies. You know, we don't automatically know even all this information. We aren't born with it. It's really around sort of reading and research and experience and challenging our views. And the trying. And and the the experimentation of it all. Haven't done that before? Try it. Talk about it. How would you like if we did this thing? It's really communication, communication, communication. I just thought of, I'm not sure what sparked it. What's the number one prerequisite for giving good head? What? Liking to give head. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, so true. (laughs) Right? Yes. You know, it's like, oh, my partner doesn't, you know, give good head. And this goes both ways, right? Whether it's cunnilingus or fellatio, um, they're both head. Wanting to do it, desiring to do it, for whatever the motivations are, seeing the the pleasure in the other person, just the act of doing it might be uh, stimulating for you. It's the wanting to do it. I hear about this perfunctory sort of outlook that some people have, men and women, and I think to myself, that's sad in and of itself. Yeah, that whole kind of, A, that's that's a, a withholding model in relation to I give it as a reward that they didn't, my question would be too, is this something you want? What, how is it set up that somehow then it's, and often in traditional male-female relationships, it's the women giving out to the man or giving it to the man in a way. It's a little bit, where's your own agency? And what has happened that then it's turned into like this reward system? And um, the other thing I think too is, it's hard to generalize. And of course, so many people are different. But for some women, it's hard for them to, believe that their male partner enjoys giving head to them or providing oral sex on them because of their own feelings about their own body. And and the partner may say, I love it, and it really turns me on, I love it. But they're un- I spend a lot of time helping people with their own internal monologue around if they're saying, like, he must be sick of it, or I'm not coming, or I'm... I don't go down there. You know what I mean? They aren't... They don't feel comfortable with that part of the body, so that... Um, so that that also plays a part, and it's hard for 
uh, some women to believe that men really enjoy oral sex. And I think that for some women, just in relation to oral sex, there's many, many ways to perform oral sex and you can be great at it without having uh, um, a deep throat experience. Well, the nerve endings aren't at yeah. the base of a cock. They're at uh, they're below the tip or they're, yeah. they're, they're in yeah. a number of places, but yeah. the frenulum and, and, and yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so I think part of it is, is attitude. Attitude is everything, as we say in the home. And open to kind of maybe challenging our own perceptions of of uh, what we believed or what we were taught about our bodies, um, other people's bodies, what is right, um, and also seeing this as a really as a sexuality and sensuality is a a real gift that we have that we can experience pleasure and and sexuality not just for procreation but for pleasure there's so much potential to be so much more satisfied in a relationship if we can communicate our wants our needs our desires and then communicate the how around it does this feel good or 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 not even waiting for the question from the person that's giving but in but encouraging verbally and (laughs) non-verbally Um, through the sounds you make and through the words you choose to to, to uh, convey to somebody, um, it's all communication, mm-hmm. really, isn't it? Yeah. There's another thing that I think that is worth exploring. What can uh, a person in the couple do to encourage, to bring out their sexuality, to bring out their desire that is just for them and or may encourage greater uh, relations sexually between the two. And one of them is, you know, masturbation. Um, and, and for her, it may include a, a dildo or it may include a vibrator or it may include a vibrating dildo. The, these things can be talked about within a couple and should be. That in and of itself is more foreplay. Did you come today, honey? Yeah, I did. I used my I used that vibrator that I got last week on Amazon and and it's really great. And then, oh, can you show me? Can you do it for? Like, there's, there's, there's so many ways. To your point about variety, mm-hmm. giving yourself the permission to ask and to tell, yeah, what you would like and what you do like. I can't imagine having a successful sex life without talking about it. Nor can I. <laughs> <laughs> so we've talked a lot, and you've used the word heterosexual often because uh, a lot of the times the the studies we hear about are about hetero couples and that divorce is at least 50% of the time and there's so much focus placed on heterosexuality in advertising, in articles, in magazines, on TV shows. Um, The plots for TV shows are still typically uh, hetero in the movie, the big screen, and that is changing. But, but let's change the conversation about that right now. Do you do couples therapy with non-hetero couples, with men and men, women and women, and, and non-binary folk too? I do. Tell us um, a bit about how that's changed, because you see, you know, there's been quite an evolution yeah. in what we talk about and how we act. Um, now, um, having said that, I do live in Collingwood, and Collingwood is a pretty heterosexual community in that the majority of my clients are uh, heterosexual. And you're saying this in relation to, say, Toronto? Yeah, in relation to Toronto. I used to live in Toronto. But I think that um, desire also is um, an issue for any long-term relationship. I think in relation to what 
the partner's like. I think that for um, gay men who are, generally speaking, more open to non-monogamous relationships or monogamish or however you are open relationships, um, the issues are a little bit different because some of the um, desire or the um, novelty needs can also be met by other people. Um, but I think that in situations, in monogamous situations, if the only person that's allowed to desire you and you're allowed to desire is one person, it just sets up, uh, you know, just a much, a much smaller system, let's say. Hmm. I think Dan Savage, who you brought up and who I've long been a fan of and who really indirectly inspired me to do this podcast because of his insight, his intellect and his experience and his entertainment value. I think that, well, I know he has a husband, but his husband identifies as having a boyfriend and a specific person, not just a bunch of just randos. <laughs> so they have made it work. They have agreed to do the way they do it, but they're still committed to that. Yes. Commitment isn't just me and you and you and me. Commitment is whatever you've agreed to. Yes, and um, I think that the, um, the LGBTQ community has been just more open and flexible around relationship styles um, classically, because they they not conforming to a heterosexual model, and it's not about bad or good. Lots of people, uh, monogamy works for millions and millions of people, but I think having that flexibility around um, the idea of not exclusive monogamy is something that I think that takes some of the energy and stress out of. Um, uh, gay relationships because they and not to say that all gay relationships are open or non-monogamous but I think that it's just more accepted generally there but I think that for lots of couples I think really how do you see something somebody in a new way when you've been with them for a super long time I mean that's um, that is still like the question of curiosity of novelty of a little bit of mystery and secrecy of a little of all of the kissing all of the stuff we talked about before but it'd still be in there too <laughs> and and when you think novelty i mean uh toys are a massive uh, business and why because people want to uh, find ways to uh, encourage pleasure and encourage more success there's a myriad of things you can try and do together and apart there's nothing wrong with masturbation that's another part of uh, a relationship that can be shared. Um, we mentioned, you know, he gets home and says, did you come today? And she says, yeah, I tried the new vibrator. That's wonderful. Guys, you know, you go to bed at night and she's legitimately really tired because she put in way bigger work day than you did, fella. And, and, and also maybe she looked after kids, whatever the reason is. Not everybody's on the same schedule. But, but why don't you, why don't you come? Why did, maybe she tells you a story. Maybe you read a story. Maybe you watch porn. I wouldn't do that in a bed beside my wife. Why wouldn't you? Why would you not? Are you hiding that? You've been together forever. I mean, there's, there's so many ways to do things. You made a great point about how you grew up, how you think. Well, learn to think a little differently if it's not working is, is what I like to say. And sometimes um, I, you know, if, if people aren't 
up for something, what I encourage people, let's say, hold the other person while they um, masturbate. Like, just be there with them. Sure. Uh, lie beside them and encourage them or just enjoy watching them. Now, it's an interesting thing. I think masturbation still is taboo in some ways, particularly um, when I often when I ask people, um, do you um, have you ever watched each other masturbate or, you know, just lying there? And they like, oh, no, 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 no. Because it's still it's interesting, at least people that I talk to. They'll go off to the bathroom, and I'm like, that's not a particularly comfortable area to It's good when you're say. 13. Yeah. Or, <laughs> so, you Literally. Know, yes. Uh, you know, maybe it's the only place when you're 13. Um, <laughs> and, um, so I guess part of it is, is um, and it's not good or bad or whatever, but to have the idea that if you're comfortable to say, like, I'm here with you, and I'm enjoying it, and who knows what might happen, but or or not... But but to be able to pivot if one person's not that interested, well, I'm not interested in this, but maybe this. The other thing is, is it doesn't have to be a full stop. I don't want this, so we'll have nothing. And I guess part of that is, again, that's a flexible thinking in terms of to say, well, it may be if you're not up for this, but I'm up for holding you, or I'm up for um, uh, giving you a hand job, or I'm up for um, mutual masturbation, or, or can, I'll p- play with you and you could play with me. Because I think the dilemma is, is people get caught in this situation in heterosexual situations or other situations where it's it's the gold standard or the thing you're supposed to do is penetrate something. And I'm like, yes, <laughs> but, but if if we say no, that isn't all the other things are pleasurable sexual things, too, because often people preface even the word masturbation, they'll say just masturbation or only masturbation or they sort of see it as they sort of sad thing that you do when you can't do something else and i would rather say this is like this is what you learn about yourself this is how you you know when i ask people what do you like how do you get off what what have you showed or told or shared with your partner about what works and what have you learned about yourself and i guess part of it is to to sort of like take that out from under the shadows and to and and to say like we this isn't something we have to hide and do. And I mean, yes, it's a private activity. I understand that I'm not saying like, hey, you have to masturbate in front of your partner all the time. Yes, it's fun to do it alone, but it's also okay to um, not hide, to to learn and to share and to also, it's a way of loving yourself. If you're dating, one of the great things is uh, is the phone call. Um, yeah. And sometimes the audio is the best because, you know, people FaceTime and you can do that too, which has its own... Um, pluses, but sometimes it's just the audio. You're talking on the phone. It's the evening, or it's Saturday afternoon, and you want to get off, or they want to get off, and you and you listen. They either tell you their fantasy, may or may not include you. There's many ways of doing it, um, but fantasy can play a really positive role in all of this because if you trust each other there's the understanding potentially of this conversation that goes like this uh, because you know cuck, cuckold is a huge uh, uh, category in porn we talked about this with Elisa Fisher last time um, so the guy the guy doesn't really want his uh, partner female if it's hetero to go off and have sex with other men but he does think about it Every man thinks about it, and why do they think about it? Because they they can they can view it like porn. They can't view themselves having sex when they're having sex, 
But the fantasy includes their wife or partner being pleasured by another man. It could be a faceless man. It's not a specific person you have to know. Guys get off on that. So here's the fantasy. They're on the phone. He says, what'd you do yesterday? And she says, well, let me tell you. And she tells him this story. It's complete fiction because they trust each other and she's not stepping out of the relationship. But it can be very exciting for the man because he puts himself in the place of that or he just is the viewer, the voyeur of what she's doing. And she gets to come. He gets to come if he wants to. They can both be masturbating on the phone. When they next get together, they're fired up based solely on that storytelling she did, which was 100% fantasy. There are ways to do it that can enliven your relationship that maybe you haven't considered. What's another one? What's another thing that maybe involves fantasy or something else that you can do that couples may not have considered to sustain this desire to make things more spark-filled. And this isn't always, but sometimes it is important to actually schedule it. Schedule at least hanging out awake at the same time with or without clothes on where you don't have anything else to do. That I think that people struggle with that. They're like, we want spontaneous. That is often a feature of maybe early in relationships all the other parts of life and and also there's something about anticipation that's a huge part of it isn't it if yeah. you schedule something listen thursday right after work yeah i need you home because i'm going to do something to you yeah whatever yeah. The thing you don't is. know what it's going to be or maybe you have a plan or to say we don't know what's going to happen but something's going to happen and it doesn't matter what it is or whatever it is that i think that people because if they don't schedule it, then they fall asleep too much. And then they come in and see me, and it's been months and years. And when I ask, suggest people scheduling, first thing is, oh, no, we don't want that. Like we don't. And I said, well, do you want what you have? Which is absolutely nothing. Right. And they're like, oh. And I go, if you continue along how you are, and you don't schedule anything, and it always is the thing that is like off the stove, you know, it's like the back burner. Not only is it on the back burner, it's not even on the stove anymore. <laughs> um, you know, it goes back to insanity, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. So things the same I say, way. you know, the odd time if you schedule, it doesn't have to schedule. A, schedule something. Schedule, and and also then maybe you're gonna you could still surprise each other within that scheduled time. It isn't about we know exactly what's gonna happen or who and what or for how long. Is this important to you? And if it isn't, was it? And what happened? And what would need to happen in order for it to be a priority again? One of the things that we're going to really get into in uh, an upcoming episode with Alicia Fitcher, who's going to make her return, Lisa, is sex clubs. And sometimes people's immediate thought about that is, oh, it's like an orgy. You're going because you want to fuck other people. And da -da -da. No, no. There's, there's, there's many ways to do a sex club as a couple, whether you're hetero or gay or whether you're single, whatever your place is in life. Some people, some couples go to sex clubs, which aren't all the same, by the way, to be just together, just the two of them. It's still just you and me. It's still exclusive. Maybe they get off on um, the novelty of being watched. Maybe they like to watch, and that encourages their excitement to be uh, together and then be watched. Maybe they want to go to a little private room in the corner. There's, there's different spaces at clubs. 
Um, there's so many different variables and so many different ways to do things. Having an open mind is how we started this episode, and that is key to all of this. You just said, if things aren't working, what are we going to do differently to make them work better? That's one option. Don't discount it until you've learned about it and maybe given it a try. You can negotiate the, the what and the how on before you even decide to make the trip to the sex club as a couple. You can say, listen, I won't be comfortable on this first trip um, doing anything. I, I might not even be comfortable taking my clothes off. I might wear something like lingerie or whatever and, and wander around and I want to see what's going on. I'm open to at least exploring the thing with you because I care enough about this relationship to investigate something different. Yeah. What do you know about sex clubs? Everything you said to me, I could see I was nodding. I think that you, well, I also know you don't have to, you don't have to be naked in a sex club. You can wear whatever you want. That's right. And I also know that you don't have to do anything in a sex club and all sorts of people are there. And being in a space like that can also just be good learning and just to be, um, but I think many people at the beginning are nervous. You know, they aren't sure what to expect. And I think each Clubs have different vibes, different clientele sometimes. Every night's different. Actually, every hour can be different. Yeah, so, they do have activities, and it's yeah. and it, it, it's rather civilized. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that's a good thing. It is. <laughs> the, it's, it's, it might shock you to, to, uh, to go to one and think, wow, this is a place I'd wish I'd known about sooner. Um, there's one in particular that you get there, and there's a swimming pool-sized hot tub on the roof. And it's not she-she and really expensive. It's a place that feels like it could be your place, like yours meaning anyone's place. And you can get in hot water, <laughs> naked, with your partner, and hang out and talk, just the two of you. You don't have to do anything you don't want. People aren't going to bug you. There's, there's, the, well, there's, there's a lot of rules, too. There's a lot of rules, but you don't seem overruled. It's no. just when you go in, you feel like, oh, people know what they're doing here. There's respect, and there's kindness, and there's, there's rules of engagement. Yes. And, and it's, it's, it's just, yeah, another way, as our theme is, how do you uh, maintain desire in long-term relationships? A lot of people are finding success by investigating that. Yeah, because they don't have to step out of their relationship. They can go and get fired up to see what other people are doing, and they can go home and use that energy uh, with themselves. Absolutely. And then make an appointment to come back next. Oh, Tuesday is women that like the company of multiple men. Oh, wow, that's a subject we can talk about now, honey. It may end up just being a fantasy that you use again in the relationship. It may end up becoming a reality. Hey, keep an open mind and uh, keep talking. Really curious about your thoughts on the power and the glory. And now I've positioned it in a way that's leading, I realize, but uh, the power, at least, of makeup sex. <laughs> Um, I often think about it, though, because I don't think there's a couple alive that didn't uh, utter this statement once or twice. Oh, my God, that was so fucking hot. I'm so glad we did that. I'm almost, I'm almost happy we had that fight because it made for the most unbelievable makeup sex. Well, it's an interesting thing because, again, you don't have to talk. 
You don't have I to think talk, that's right? The, uh, I mean, maybe that. I think part of it, too, is um, our bodies, if we allow ourselves to kind of let go in our bodies sometime, humans tend to overthink in some ways. And I think that there's something about um, remembering in the body the partner and the other person, and it can be healing and therapeutic. Now, it, it's an interesting thing because is makeup sex always as good for both? I don't know. You know, that's it. It we don't really parse together both for both people. Often it's one person talking about theirs, but in a way, the other thing is is ideally, you want sexual experiences to be positive, and to actually then drive the relationship in terms of feeling good and help with positive feelings and associations and connection. And I think that positive experiences drive positive experiences. So I think that if that's a way of remembering for people, anytime they have, let's say, good positive sexual experiences with their partner that they care about, or at least fun, or at least some experience pleasure with another person, then likely the next day, things are a little better because their body and their energy remembers that it, yeah that reconnection yeah because sometimes yeah. you talk and talk and talk and either you agree to disagree or you come to some resolution either way sometimes it's nice to take a break and reconnect in a way that's not that it's taking yourself out of that situation yeah. and 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 going with something that works a little better in that moment well and you know i guess sometimes it's an interesting thing and I, i'm not going to say one's better than the other but you know, talking is talking. <laughs> Sometimes doing is doing and being, being in your body, and there's something to be said for that. Um, I think, though, that uh, couples who I've seen who are caught in high-conflict relationships, if the only connection they have or the only positive thing they have is the makeup sex, then there's other trouble because what happens is they're activated all the time in terms of higher levels of anger or upset. And if the only way they can kind of regulate themselves is, let's say, sexually, then they're kind of caught in that we must then have conflict in order to get back again together. So that can be difficult. Yeah, trauma bonding almost, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, and that goes goes back to what you said earlier about the all or nothing. One more thing. It's, it's a V word. <laughs> it's not PIV. <laughs> it's not penis and vagina, although it may end up that. Um, vulnerability. It's a huge part of successful relationships in that you have to be open to sharing the things you feel and think with your partner or or what do you have you don't have communication talk about the role of vulnerability if you would in any way you'd like to address okay. it in, in desire and in successful relationships well the first thing that came into my head i guess is in order to be sexually involved with another person being naked is an incredibly vulnerable thing. So even if we just start around what does it mean to shed your clothes and be in your skin and can you be seen? You know, I think that some couples at some times in their lives are comfortable with that and then that can change. So and in terms of vulnerability also around... Um, uh, insecurities, I think, in terms of what their fears may be, what they are. I think people have inside worries about am I... It's an interesting question, too, like things like, 
what is a good lover and am I a good lover and am I a good lover to you and um, are there other people that were better and it's not like some big competition but people's head goes there and to say if I was really vulnerable can I ask for what I what I like can I ask for actually even some transgressive things because that's the other part sex isn't always clean and proper and tidy that there's a part of desire and a part of energy that can be fantasy as well that can be transgressive and can I be vulnerable can I trust you with some of my the vulnerabilities around what my wishes are what my curiosities are and I think also being vulnerable is understanding too that as we uh, move through our own lives our own feelings about our maybe our own bodies and our own losses in our lives um, and to be vulnerable about what may have worked been easy before would have worked well or uh, may um, not be as easy at this time and I think even being vulnerable even say things like I miss you or I miss touching or I want this or I'm lonely to be able to express and for the other person to actually hear or be available and not dismiss that and you have return people coming that find success in the advice that you give them as a therapist which is also a coach in my way of thinking help me coach help us help us find the road to success because we don't want to break up we're here because we want to stay together and or we're here because we're going to give it our best shot and, and when we'd rather do that and not have to wonder could we have tried harder or could we have done more to keep this thing going mm-hmm. sometimes i joke that i'm the um Weight Watchers check-in of the sex world. So, uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> sometimes people say, oh, we haven't done, uh-oh, you know, whatever. Or to say, it's okay. But, you know, at least this is a place where you're safe to uh, talk about. And they, people often will say it's the only place I've ever really, ever really talked about this. Or we've got the conversation started. Yesterday I saw a couple and they said after we, um, after we saw you last time, we went home and we had a great time in bed and I would that that made my little sex therapist heart happy oh that's great right <laughs> in real time it happened yeah what can people do to find out more about you and what you have to offer in terms of uh, services in, in in therapy well they can um, uh, google www.heartflame.ca heartflame yeah heartflame.ca yeah. Lisa Peltier Thank you so much for showing up and uh, speaking with us at the Blue Hotel. You're most welcome. It was my pleasure. And next, for the conclusion of episode 15, a new adult erotic bedtime story narration. He's bi, she's curious, but for this story, they're simply trying to find their way back to each other. Jessica scurried around the kitchen, alone, trying to throw together a somewhat desirable dinner. And as she did, she was again flooded with all those debilitating thoughts that had been haunting her for months now. She'd been so desperately trying not to think about, they just kept creeping in. And no matter how hard she tried to push them out of her mind, they continued to taunt her daily. The reality was this, her relationship had grown stale. She knew it and so did he. 
and no amount of gourmet pasta could fix it. Jessica and Jack had been together for a little over a year, and that vavavoom, that crazy intense spark she so fondly remembered, had faded. She desperately yearned for that attention and spice again, that teasing and that playful banter that had come so easily. The delicate care he used to take when pleasing her and the catering to her needs, the zoned-in focus, the it's-all-about-you-baby-this-time he'd whisper in her ear, and then they'd run upstairs just before they were about to get down. That's what she missed most. That's what she wanted back. And that insatiable appetite he once had for her seemed to be gone. Fuck, it's not El Dente like he wants it. Jennifer looked down into the pot. Bet she neglected to notice was overcooked, so she began filling up the pot again with water and started over. But what she really needed at this point was a start over with him. Their love had started so big, and it came with a magnetic force at a time in their lives when they thought getting past the demons and memories of their past relationships and the trauma they thought might have ruined them both for good. The feeling that this just could be it. Her daydreams were nostalgic, painfully so. But she hadn't quite lost all hope. I mean, she was still in enough to boil the water twice and serve the fettuccine with a smile. She called up to him in his studio to say he was ready, and he yelled back, You go ahead, babe, I'm on deadline. She got that work was work and deadlines mattered, but still, this wasn't the same man who, despite having to be out of the house at 7 a.m., set his alarm for five every morning to make sure there was a solid hour to go down on her and make her come, and then fuck her beyond her wildest dreams. And then he couldn't wait to get home from work in time for round two, before dinner. She wanted that guy back. The Jack, who would not only make her pussy wet just by looking at her, the one who never missed an opportunity to take care of it. Now she sat alone, and while her appetite for carbs was questionable, her hunger for getting properly fucked again was not. Her thoughts turned to the times and the places and the positions and the sounds they both made with zero restraint, zero inhibition. They'd opened up to one another, raw, naked, animalistic. That was when things were less routine and more like a roller coaster ride you'd never want to come down from. What Jessica loved was being surprised. She loved the thrill of being completely naked with somebody that you're still getting to know. When you haven't quite revealed all of who you are, she remembered when he first grabbed her neck while kissing her and squeezed it just a little more tightly than what she was used to. She needed this kind of raw, can't-keep-my-hands-off-you passion. It made her feel desired. She couldn't get enough of it. And when he nudged her skirt up ever so slightly while they were driving home one night from dinner and began to focus solely on her, just her clit alone, she was all his. Here was a man whose only mission, it seemed, was to please her, repeatedly in the bedroom, in the kitchen, in the hot tub, in a dark booth side-by-side side over a generous pour of their favorite Amarone, hands and mouths working overtime in both verbal and especially nonverbal communication. He was feeling as lucky to have found her as she was to have found him. She got off on being responsible for making his cock so goddamned hard. And when he touched her thigh and put his hand on her face, her cheeks turned a bright rosy red every time, almost burning from within, while the space between was dripping wet. From seemingly out of nowhere, he'd shown up, ready, willing, 
capable. She remembered the first time he said these words, lie down and spread your legs wide. And she did, or she thought she did. He said wider. Then she really did, opening herself up completely, showing herself to him, letting him see how she glistened in anticipation. Everything about her, from the twinkle of her eyes to the darkness of her brow, the fullness of her lips, the sound of her voice especially turned him on. This was his foreplay, just listening and looking at her face, her smile. She was both cute and beautiful at the same time. He loved her willingness to open up to him physically and mentally, and how she held her gaze as he did too, and how she held her legs open wide, and he made her feel like she was enough. And between her thighs to work he went, slowly and carefully and curiously, spreading her lips open, enough to zone in on her sweet spot, using her moans to gently guide him along. Then she directed him, which wasn't because he didn't know how, but because for the first time she actually had it in her to ask for exactly what she wanted. She said, just your tongue right now, and so it met her spot. With the precise focus and attention her clit seemed to be calling out for, he circled it round and round and guessed correctly, moving it up and down was what she really needed. And she confirmed it so, moaning as he did. Her head was starting to spin. She thought her mind might melt. And instead of holding back, she gave in fully and completely to that little voice that told her she should let loose and allow herself the pleasure she'd denied herself for so long. Her legs still spread wide, trembled. Cheeks and lips and neck flush. She took the orgasm making it clear to him in the way her back arched and toes curled that his mouth was made for her spot. As Jessica's mind continued down memory lane of what once was, her half-eaten dinner had gone cold. And just then, much to her surprise, down the stairs he came and said, I'm sorry I took so long, babe. I met my deadline, and I thought to myself how lucky I am that you feed me and that you understand and that you put up with it and that I really should appreciate that more. And then he kissed her forehead and said, I'm really hungry, actually, for dinner, but mostly for you. And he took her by the hand, and you know what he said? Let's get back to us. And together, up the stairs, they went. Come on, let's go to the Blue Hotel. Please take me by the blue hotel podcast just about every thursday at midnight eastern follow listen enjoy rate review share repeat till next time i'm jeff woods Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many rogues that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. 
the journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey Into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at AveryRich.com.